0: Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Liz. Should I call it Lizzie? Welcome back to Everyone Talks to Lizzie. No, we'll stick with Liz. Okay, so this week I thought I was going to jump into something that I really don't talk too much about dating and love. You know, the concept of dating has so totally evolved dramatically throughout time. I mean, if you think about Romeo and Juliet or The Notebook, Pride and Prejudice, or DMing these days to find someone to share dinners and maybe eventually diamond rings with. But the perils of online dating, which has just exploded in popularity, are really out there. In fact, while more than 40% of Americans use online dating and 20% of current 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 relationships began online. According to eHarmony, more than fifty-two percent of people lie in their online dating profile. And you know, in this age of COVID and its new variants, do you really want to take the chance somebody's lying about, say for example, their VAC status? Okay, enter Coffee Meets Bagel. It's the first dating app that had users enter their vaccination status. Coffee Meets Bagel started as sort of the anti-Tinder. It's not for one-night hookups. It's for those looking for a longer-term relationship. As wildly popular as the app has become, you have to know the incredible story behind the app. Particularly the founder. Dawoon Kang moved to America from Korea at age 12. And after sort of a dating app stroke of genius, Dawoon decided, you know what? I'm going to quit my job. It was a good job. Hello. high finance. And launch Coffee Meets Bagel with her sister. A few years and a few million dates later, Dawoon joins us now on Everyone Talks to Liz. I love this story, Dawoon, because you and your sisters just really kind of went all in to reach for something about which you weren't exactly knowledgeable. And I'm talking about designing an app, putting together a dating site. I mean, talk about where you came up with the idea of Coffee Meets Bagel. Hi, Liz. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, Yes.
1: So just to give context to the listeners, um, when we started, when my sisters and I started Coffee Meets Bagel, I was actually working out of Hong Kong um, at JP Morgan's. uh, a special opportunities investing uh, position. And so it was completely different from tech world. And uh, my sisters, um, we two of us had business background and one of us was a designer. And so none of us were actually uh, had a tech background. We were not coders. And so when we first started this journey of Coffee Meets Bagel, we had to outsource our technology. And I remember um, we, you know, uh, rummaging through uh, a a outsourcing site, Um, it was called ODesk then and uh, finding somebody in Indonesia, a developer in Indonesia and having them uh, develop a prototype uh, of what became Coffee Mitzvahel eventually. And, um, you know, funny story like this first developer actually disappeared for a while. And um, and so, of course, uh, we had a lot of scare. So it, it It was a long, long, um, long journey, uh, to to say the least, uh, for us to uh, start Coffee Meets Bagel. Anyway, going back
0: to the, uh, the, actually, what was your original question? My original question was coming up with this concept of Coffee Meets Bagel and quitting your job and and specifically the focus of Coffee Meets Bagel, which is not necessarily a quickie hookup site, but more of a longer term looking for longer term love site.
1: Yeah. So the three of us got together and, um, you know, back in early, uh, it was 2012. um, And we had this dream of starting a company together for a long time, my sisters and I, Mm -hmm. because our dad is an entrepreneur and our mom was an entrepreneur as well so growing up we we always talked about starting something together and we just didn't know what or when and uh, back in 2012 one of us um one of my sisters graduated from business school and you know we said we were in our late 20s and um you know it felt like among the three of us we had you know At that point, almost like 30 years of work experience and, um, you know, starting a company is a is a risky, risky uh, business. Right. So the longer you wait and, um, you know, when you start a family and just uh, you have more responsibilities, we thought it probably will get harder for us to be able to take that kind of big risk. So it just kind of uh, felt like now or never. And so we decided, hey, let's let's start something now. We always talked about it. We looked around for a business idea. We knew that we wanted to do something in the consumer space because we wanted to make a direct impact to millions of people around the world. And we knew that we wanted to... Um, uh, Uh, make sure that it was it was an area that we felt passionate about and it felt really fun and dating um, given that we were in our late 20s just kept coming up as a problem for us as well as our friends and um, so we started looking into dating space and what kind of players are out there and realized Wow, there's a huge opportunity here. It's it's a really big market, it's a growing market, and there seems to be no dating app that really focuses on long-term relationship. It really every everything that we encounter really felt like, "Hey, let's just uh, put in front of people as many people as possible and then get them to choose um as many people as possible, because that would increase the probability of um, them being able to go on a date. And we thought, hey, you know what? Even though this gluttony of, you know, people uh, and matching left and right might feel like a really fast way to meet somebody meaningful, Um, what we, what we think slow dating or slower dating approach where you're actually more focused on one or or fewer people at a time. We started with one, one person at a time. That we think is a uh, is is a, is a actually a faster way mm. to meet somebody more uh, long term oriented because you actually get uh, give them a real chance and they get to give you a real chance to get to know each other. Um, and so we we focus on long term because that's what we felt passionate about. And, you know, that's right. where we saw the white space.
0: Let me back up a bit, because this is when you're in your 20s, but you actually moved to the States when you were around age 12 from Korea. Why did you guys leave Korea? And what was that like assimilating into a brand new culture and a brand new country like America?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so my dad, uh, who has been a huge influence in all of our um, lives, it was actually his dream to be able to come and study in the states and be able to speak english and be able to um you know run businesses with global platform he never got a chance to do that because uh, my grandfather never agreed to it and so when he had his children i think it was um he really wanted to make sure that we get an opportunity to go abroad Mm. um, be able to speak english and be able to just um be a global citizen and so he asked us when we were 12, hey, do you guys want to what do you guys think about going to the States and um, studying there instead of being in Korea? And then we were super excited because, you know, <laughs> we we only hear about the United States out of a movie. And uh, so we were like, oh, my God, no brainer. We want to go. But then we came. <laughs> And uh, of course, when we came, um, the excitement of being in a new place quickly kind of turned into more of a fear because sure. we didn't speak the language. And um, I remember I was the super outspoken person um, when I was a when I was a child growing up in Korea. Uh, you know, always the first to raise my hand um, in class. Uh, but just uh, going entering the school, looking at everyone, and not being able to speak the language just. Um, I almost kind of felt like I I lost part of myself. And uh, for a very, very long time, uh, I remained very, very quiet. And it took me a while to kind of just find my voice again.
0: About how long did it take before you actually felt comfortable walking out the door and facing the world? (laughs) (laughs) Very long time.
1: Actually, it didn't start until... um, uh, it's my, a lot of people have told me, oh, you know, you're so great at public speaking. You're so great at sharing your story. But, um, you know, I think inside there was always part of me that was self conscious about, okay, oh my God, I don't want, I want to make sure that I speak with the perfect grammar. I want to make sure that I, you know, there's certain words that I can't pronounce that I, you know, I really don't want anyone to know. And um, it honestly didn't uh, uh, happen until my early 30s, uh, which was, that's like 18 years uh, later that I kind of was like, you know what, I don't think this really matters anymore. I'm just going to focus on my message and what I want to convey to the audience. Um, and when I, when I feel passionate about something and when I, that that really translates and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day if I'm, you know, Uh, Mixing up a or the or singular or plural, which I absolutely absolutely because the main main point is not that it really is about what I'm trying to um uh, leave the audience with.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. And by the way, you speak phenomenal English, (laughs) (laughs) and and I I love when when some Americans when, when
1: you stop worrying about those
0: kind of things is when you actually start. Um, yeah. Speaking better, right? Well, as long as you try. And, I, and it really annoys me when some Americans you know, probably good-naturedly, but make fun of somebody's mistakes or their accent, I always reverse it and I say, e- that's great. Can you speak Korean as well as she <laughs> speaks English? I mean, It's ridiculous. It's like, God, just speak a few words and it's so impressive to me. And that's that's what I think is sort of the great American immigrant story of people like you mm-hmm. coming and starting businesses and employing more people. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. Let's get to your first attempt at the app with your sisters. You know, this podcast is about not necessarily the great successes, but the failures that bring you to success. How difficult did it get before you really started to make it?
1: Uh, it was a really slow start, Liz. Uh, you know, I remember when we first started, um, you know, I, I was alluding to earlier, like our developer disappeared. And uh, so that was <laughs> a big blow. We had already sunk in, you know, a good amount of our personal money into developing the prototype. So that was um, that was a big blow. Uh, we were, you know, I remember we were trying to start fundraising um, and our investors wouldn't really... Uh, told us straight up, hey, without a CTO, you're not going to be able to raise. I'm not going to invest and in, you're not going to be able to raise from anyone. And so we really had to recruit a proper CTO to be even able to raise money. Mm. Um, and so that took a really long time. Um, you know, when we started operating uh, and we you know, uh, opened our beta business, it took a while for us to actually slowly um, getting start getting our name out there and we had to try many, many different things. You know, uh, working, I remember going out to, we were in, in New York then, We going out to Columbia University campus, you know, handing out fires, going from cafe to cafe, uh, looking for a partnership uh, for any cafes to be, you know, who's willing to work with us. Hmm. Um, and, you know, those are some of the very uh, many, many, you know, there was no single silver bullet we had to throw. 100 different bullets uh, to kind of incrementally grow until to the point where we had a li- like a good amount of people and because the service was good and different, uh, they started talking about it and the word of mouth kind of flywheel started um, going. I, I, you know, I, I feel like it took us at least like a, one or two years sure. uh, for until for that to happen.
0: But you, you have to understand, like from somebody like me and my perspective and watching this is you guys are running around handing out pamphlets on campuses and in cafes, that's called bootstrapping it. People think, oh, she's just really smart. She worked at J.P. Morgan. She worked <laughs> this thing up. You guys, it is so much harder than it looks. But the climb is is half the fun, is it not? And And so tell me. What was the point where you realized? Wait a minute, this is starting to work. Was there a moment where you just had that aha? Okay, now we got some numbers here, and we're we're getting known. Yeah. Uh, before I
1: say that, I, I love I love what you what you mentioned, which is uh, the hustle, like the the bootstrapping. I think for founders. Um, And and for a really long time, um, a lot longer than probably uh, a lot of people think, you really have to be willing to be uh, roll up the sleeve and do what it takes to get things going. Um, And and a lot of people don't know this, but we, the three of us, actually, um, in order for us to make make sure the platform is really safe and. Uh, we were getting quality people, we were literally, uh, anyone who signs up, we're literally uh, going through and manually approving people for a really long time. And, Mm. you know, we would do that at night um, after we, we we were done with our work. The three of us were living together and we were just going through one by one, making sure that the photos were, you know, there was no uh, scandalous photos. Um, Like the profiles looked, you know, there was, it was not an obviously fake profile. Like we did that for a really long time. So, so um, the things that you think is not like a CEO job, um, I think founders really, as a, as a person who's starting off, like there is no job that is below you Mm -hmm. Um, anyway. The, the going back to your question when when we thought it was oh hey, there's something here that conviction came pretty early for us when we did our beta because we I think it may take a while for you to uh, get a large number of consumers to get things going, especially for what I call two-sided platform um, like dating app where there needs to be uh, people who are willing to match you and people who you like. And there needs to be a size of a number of that in order for uh, a service to properly uh, start running. So that could take a while, but the reason why we had a conviction really early is because we tested our beta product among about 50 of our friends. Um, and we were manually doing everything. It, it was our friends and we were doing the manual matching. Um, we were, we were sending our coffee meets bagel model is every day. And then we give a, uh, a curated match of really quality people. Okay. And we started with one match a day and, um, we didn't have any algorithm or anything. So we were you know, sending emails uh, ourselves, uh, generating matches ourselves. And the reaction that we got from our friends were phenomenal. They were like, wow, I never actually come across a service like this. It, it's so great that it's uh, friends of friends. And, um, uh, uh, people that I can trust. And uh, it, it, I, there isn't, you know, in existing platforms, in existing dating apps, like it's really hard to trust. Yes. Uh, I don't have a yes. platform that I can really trust. So, uh, when we heard those uh, subjective, qualitative, and not that many—it's not like we spoke to thousands of people—that's when we realized that oh, there was something here that we should investigate and we should be willing to take a risk for. Um, and so that that qualitative uh, uh, feedback in the very beginning was what gave us conviction sure. to keep to continue to
0: invest and keep going. Well, it was certainly encouraging. I can only imagine. How did COVID change your model? And talk about what you did to deal with the lockdowns. Because at that point, you think to yourself, "Well, nobody's going to want to date." But you guys immediately dove in and did something very different.
1: Yeah, I mean, talking about um, talk about challenges and how to overcome it. Oh my God, COVID. I mean. For a lot of companies, not just Coffee Meets Bagel, it was a very difficult and challenging and uncertain time. Mm-hmm. And Coffee Meets Bagel is actually one of the very few, it, actually the only sizable dating app that is still remaining independent. Uh, most dating app of certain size it now belongs to uh, Match, Match Group, mm-hmm. um, or the uh, the the Magic Group, which is uh, what uh, Bumble is part of. And so as an independent um, dating app, um, we really needed to uh, hunker down in order for us to um, make sure that we can ride this wave, uh, that we weren't really sure how long it was going to last. And we immediately saw a dip in a user sign-up and also our revenue uh, because people also didn't know what to expect and it was uncertain um, economically and also health-wise. Um, what we started doing immediately was talk to our users, talk to the daters. Hey, what are you experiencing? How are you thinking about dating? How is it changing right now? And what one thing that came out loud and clear is that daters, especially those of us who are living by ourselves, completely cut off from our family and friends were feeling really lonely and they were so craving for a connection and it didn't really even matter if it was like the one, the romantic partner. They just wanted to Feel like they're not alone and not, you know, um, they're not going going this uh, this really scary experience alone, and so um, we immediately launched this thing called Coffee Talk, and it wasn't really based on dating. It was a virtual space. We we just used Zoom because we wanted to launch it as quickly as possible. It was a virtual space of about fifty to hundred. coffee meet people daters coming mm-hmm. together to just chat and catch up and share about their experience. And we would have a moderator that we trained to make sure that it doesn't feel awkward and it's not chaotic and you would break them um, and break people into small groups so they get a chance to really have some meaningful connections. And of course, being that we were dating, it, we did give people a chance to exchange phone numbers or any kind of contact information if they wanted to at the very end. And yeah. a lot of people did and uh, uh, we actually <laughs> found out that people were meeting outside of coffee talk as well because they wanted to keep in touch and the reaction was phenomenal because people just wanted to connect and so we continued this on until um very late into the summer that's when start things start easing out a little bit and people start uh we started getting more information about COVID, so it was a little bit less scary um, so that was one, like, big pivot item that we did. Uh, and we had to, because Coffee Meets Bagel was all about meeting up. Hey, let's, you know, get off the app and meet up for meaningful connection and people were not meeting up. So that's one of the, uh, one of the items that we quickly launched, um, uh, based on talking to the users. And I think it always just comes down to staying close contact with your consumer and listening mm-hmm. to them sure. and really looking for, um, listening for their needs.
0: Tell me about, the numbers, I want to know how many dates the site has engendered, and just as importantly, any marriages sprouting from Coffee Meets Bagel?
1: yes um there we used to count how many marriages uh we were generating but uh one it's actually hard to track that because unless they literally tell us um email us afterwards that they're engaged or married um we we don't know so there are many many engagement and marriages that mm. we're not able to capture um and um and and then we sort of kind of lost track so uh, there there are a lot out there uh but we don't know the exact numbers in terms of math. We actually recently celebrated um, uh, more than 10 billion matches uh, (gasps) that we generated globally. So uh, that was a huge, huge accomplishment that we celebrated.
0: Wow. That is so amazing. Uh, You know, that's incredible. You're, You're doing some really important work in many ways. There's so much loneliness out there in the world. And COVID, of course, did not help. In the end, though, you know, I guess from the standpoint of people looking at you and saying you took this chance, you left a very hot job at J.P. Morgan, Hong Kong, that must have been scary. Do you ever regret that?
1: No. And and, and it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned the word regret because one of one main thing um, well there are two two main things that really made it easy, relatively easy for me to make the decision to leave JP Morgan when I was debating whether I should do that or uh, I should just stay because it was a really awesome job and, mm-hmm. uh, and I did love it. It was lucrative. Um, and uh, at the time when I was debating, one thing that i came across was a video by jeff basil and um the way that he thinks about things when he's making when he's about to make a big decision and he used this model called regret minimalization model and what he does is when there's a hard decision to make a big decision he imagines himself uh, when he's 60 or 70 and looking back to this moment and um, he asks okay what is the choice that's going to help me have the least amount of regret um, when I'm looking back at this moment as a six or seven year old guy? And when I, whenever I ask that question, the answer becomes very clear. And so I tried them myself and it was very clear. It was to jump, um, at this opportunity to be able to work with my wonderful sisters, um, and give it a try at this, uh, you know, startup that, uh, that entrepreneurship that we always just talked about, but never did. And I knew that I would regret it a lot if I didn't, um, uh, give it a try. So that was really easy. And so uh no regret there i would have had a ton of regret that if i actually just stayed in um, jp morgan without trying Um, the other thing is also having a supportive dad Um, um, and so i think having a support is really important whenever you're taking on certain risk Uh, my dad given that he's an entrepreneur himself was really supportive of our decision and uh, you know when i told him that i was gonna do this he said hey you know uh, there is a Korean proverb, proverb um, that says something like uh, a leaf in, in in a running water, running river um, doesn't rot, but if uh, it stays in a still water, it's going to start rotting. Meaning, uh. unless you uh, look for change and all constantly reinventing yourself, you're going to start regressing or uh, or rotting. Um, is uh, is the expression. And so I fully support that. And if you struggle and if this doesn't go well, I'm there to support you. Um, And so those two kind of uh, uh, things made it easier for me to make that decision at the time.
0: Brilliant. This is wonderful. And and I love hearing your story. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you you so so much. much, Dawoon. And guys, check it out. It's Coffee Meets Bagel. I love the name. But for me, I'd rather like Coffee Meets Danish because I totally love Danish. <laughs> but um, no, I love the bagel accent. It's perfect. Good luck to you guys. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you very much. And she she makes a great point, everyone. Take that chance. It's okay. You'll never regret having tried Okay. Because life is way too short to simply hang out in still water. I love that that allegory. I think it's wonderful. And I think you guys are the best for, for tuning in and listening to all of our podcasts about these great American success stories and so many of them have the same theme. And that is just take that chance. Dive in the water. Doesn't matter how deep or shallow it is. Just start swimming and keep on swimming. Have a great day, and I'll see you 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, on Fox Business. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News senior meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.